I am going to speak today on restoration. I felt that the Holy Spirit was highlighting the issue of restoration to me in the last few days, and uh, I took some time digging in the Word, and I'm, it's, it's heavy on my heart to pass on the message that I'm carrying for us as a church family here today. And so we're going to read a scripture, and then I'm going to show you a couple of pictures and tell you a little story, and we're going to jump in the Word together. So we're going to kick off here in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 through 10. Now, you can join by looking at the uh, screen here and read. You don't even have to get out a Bible or a phone. This is the lazy man's church. It's okay in the 21st century to do it this way. You know, I was thinking earlier on, in, uh, in the week, I was looking for something in the Bible, and I actually was using a real, like, Bible that has pages, and thinking, you know, in this day and age, it's like, I don't even know where Daniel is in the Bible. I just get on my phone and hit Daniel, and I'm there. Um, but I think we're losing our navigation skills in the Word of God because of modern technology. Uh, anyway... Um, one other note here, if you see my phone comes sliding out of my left pant leg, I have a hole in my left pocket, and um, this has caught me and a few other people by surprise recently. I'll be walking along, put my phone in my pocket, suddenly it comes shooting out of my left leg and flies across the street, and, uh, which is quite a surprise to everybody around. So if you see a phone go sliding off somewhere, you know what it is. All right, back grounded in the Word of God here. Good place to start. Humble yourselves. All right, then. Um, Verse 6, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, not a long while, just a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Powerful passage. All right, I'm going to talk briefly about... a. A natural illustration which helps unfold a spiritual principle. Jesus did lots of this. I love Jesus' teaching style. He would point towards different things. You know, look at the lilies. Look at the, look at the fields. And then he would unfold spiritual principles from natural things. It's a great way to learn. So I think we have a couple of pictures here. Um, David, if you would show uh, the first picture of the McLaren here. So who likes cars here? I'm an avid car guy. This is a McLaren P1, so if you know anything about this vehicle, this is one of a crop of three of the most expensive and fastest supercars which are available today. It came out about three years ago. Um, like this car, along with a Porsche 918 and a Ferrari LaFerrari, has a list price of over a million dollars, well over a million dollars, and all of those cars were sold out before they were even marketed or promoted. <coughs> Um, you couldn't go in and buy one unless you were an existing McLaren, Ferrari, or Porsche um, buyer who'd bought lots of vehicles. And uh, this yellow car here actually um, 
a friend of mine, the son of my former boss, owns uh, this car. Um, he's in his, I think he's about 36 years old now. I was talking to my brother when I was back in England, who traveled with him to the McLaren dealership to pick up this vehicle. And um, needless to say, this old friend of mine has done rather well for himself. Um, but he could not buy this car brand new because he had not bought enough other McLarens to get to the front of the line. And this vehicle, like many, are so in demand that he had to pay about an additional $500,000 above the list price of the car just to buy it used. And my brother was telling me that what wealthy people are doing now, you can, you can instantly make hundreds of thousands of dollars, even millions of dollars, if you have a few spare million dollars to buy on supercars, and if you buy lots of them anyway. Um, and so this friend of mine, he also owns a Porsche 918, which also was well over a million dollars, um, and he has a stable of these cars. So this car is greatly in demand, and it's worth a lot of money. It's an incredibly fast vehicle, it's amazing to drive, and it has a huge amount of potential. This is a McLaren P1. Now I'm gonna show you a picture of another vehicle here. This is a 1956 Jaguar XKSS. And so it's about 60 years old now. It would have sold at the time for the equivalent of about 50 or $60,000 in its heyday. It's really an amazing car, this particular one. Uh, won a number of races at one Le Mans, um, and it became fairly well known. It was a successful racing vehicle. It was campaigned over a number of years, and it suffered <laughs> for a while under the hands of a racing driver and a team, and it was worked hard, and it was driven, and it went through trials, it went through tribulations. It got too hot, it overheated, it got rebuilt. And then, at the end of this season of its life, it went through a restoration. And it was lovingly restored back to its original glory. And so now it is as capable today, although it is 60 years old, as it was that the day that it was manufactured. And this vehicle just sold uh, last year for $22 million. Because there is a much greater value to something which has been tried and tested, that has been used, that has accomplished and achieved something, and then been restored to its former glory, than there is for something which just has great potential. And so people are prepared to pay 20 times more for a vehicle like this because it has a much greater value, because it is something which has accomplished something, and it has been restored. And today, this vehicle could be raced in the classic racing series, if someone so desired. What is the point of this? That God is in the habit of bringing restoration to his people, that that which we were designed for, designed to do, he wants us to do. And he holds it in much higher value when we are able to give ourselves to fulfill the potential that he has called us to 
And He is a God who lovingly equips us and empowers us and restores us and enables us to continue to do that which He's called us to do, just like this vehicle. And that is of the highest value to Him. And I believe that what God is wanting to do, we can take this picture down now, lest it distract me any further. (laughs) And I believe that God is wanting to do right now and is to highlight that he is a God of restoration, that that which he has called us to, he wants us to be able to outwork and fulfill that. And he is able to keep us, as we read in the scripture here, in a place of restoration that we can remain strong and firm and steadfast and we can outwork that which he has called us to do. And we're going to dig into the word a little bit and look at some characteristics of restoration and we're going to look at some keys for restoration that we can be a people that are still in our prime of being able to outwork that which God has called us to and not just people with great potential. Amen? Who wants to fulfill what you're called to and not just have potential? I know that I do. So we're going to dive into the Word of God and look a little bit at this here from the passage in Peter. There are many different stories of the restoration of God in the Bible. I spent some time looking at Joseph. Um, Joseph is an amazing example And we look at what this man endured, and then I love the passage at the very end of his season when the culmination of his purpose comes to a fruition, when he has saved a nation of people from starvation. He's, in fact, he's saved beyond his own nation, and he is restored to his family, and then he says of his life, and the some 20 years or so that have passed, he says, You intended, this is to his family, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And the testimony at the end of our lives and the end of a season of a little suffering that we read about in Peter is that we would be able to say that which the enemy intended for harm, God intended and has turned it for good. And it has resulted in what you see, the saving of many lives. And so we're going to look at a couple of characteristics of restoration. Number one, that God restores our purpose. He restores our purpose. There are three Ps here that we're going to look at. God is interested in restoring our purpose. In the life of Joseph, he began in, with this dream which showed him, you know, remember he said he saw the, you know, the sheaf of wheat and the others bowing down to it. And then he saw this, you know, kind of the, the sun and the moon and the stars. He, he had this dream where God was showing him that he was going to have rule and authority. Now, in his immaturity, he spoke about it unwisely and he got himself into trouble. I got some people laughing here. Some, some of us may have experienced... Uh, speaking about things unwisely that we, can, um, that we can empathize with Joseph. But he had a dream where God showed him his purpose. He had no conception at that time of how this would be outworked. But he had a dream from God that was lodged in his heart, and it stayed there. It stayed there with him. And despite this journey of many, many years and multiple diversions of what would seem like something that took him completely off the course, God restored Joseph from his place 
in the dungeon, from the prison into the palace, so that God's fulfillment would have its course. And the purpose of Joseph's life would have its fruition. So God is interested for you and me in restoring our purpose. He's interested, number two, in restoring our position. So what do I mean by position? I mean the place in which our purpose is outworked. Joseph had a purpose even when he was in the prison, but the position he needed to have for his ultimate purpose to be carried out was in the palace. And so God is set on taking us to the position we need to be in so that our purpose can be outworked. Now along the road, we're going to find ourselves, like Joseph, in positions that do not seem like they're going to bring about the fulfillment of our purpose. But God will be faithful to put us in the place that we need to be in to fulfill his purpose. And number three, he is going to give us the power to outwork our purpose. In the life of Joseph, who was called to save a nation and to bring about glory to God and honor where even Pharaoh recognized his God was the Savior, he needed to be in a place where he was given the power, the authority to outwork his purpose. And so he, in seasons of this journey, he had almost no authority whatsoever. This man was imprisoned for a period, but he gained authority and ultimately he was put back in the place where he was given the power to outwork his purpose. And so I want to just focus on a few keys here for us to, to live in a place of restoration that our lives can outwork their purpose, that we can ensure that we're in the right position, and that we can receive the power that we need to fulfill our purpose. And so we're going to dive back into the original passage that we looked at, and we're going to look at what Peter says about how we can get to a place of this restoration. You know, it's always helpful when you see a promise, you see something in Scripture that you identify with, and you say, I want that. How do I get that? To go ahead and read the preceding verses. <laughs> Particularly if there's a therefore beginning in this verse. If, you, if something begins with a therefore, that's your cue to see what it's there for. And so we go back, and we can often find the keys to, to what we need here. So we're going to look here at how we can, like Joseph, stay the course, see God bring a restoration, a, a wholeness, a healing, a empowering of our lives, and we can live in that place of fulfilling our purpose. And so keys for restoration here, number one, we're going to look at humility. And I put here, go low and God will lift you high. Peter says this, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. There's this principle in scripture that if we will lower ourselves, God will raise us up. 
Now, the reverse is true, that if we, if we puff ourselves up, and if, we, and if we elevate ourselves, then we are prime candidates for God to humble us. It's like Jesus said of those who wanted to come and sit at the head of the table, that they would be sent to the back. But those of us who are able to judge ourselves rightly, as uh, we read about um, where... Uh, I believe it's in uh, Romans, we're told not to think most highly of ourselves than we ought, but think of yourself so as to have sober judgment. That if I am able to say to myself, I'm going to position myself lowly, I'm going to think of myself how I should, then I position myself in a place for God to then lift me up, and He will, he will fill me with grace. He will elevate my position. He will give me that which I need from him in order to go where I need to go. It's interesting, I think, that the, the second part of this verse here says, cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, we often, we hear about this and we read this, this second half of the verse in isolation, don't we? It's like one of those refrigerator magnet things. Cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. But it's attached to humility. It is actually a position of humility for me to say, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this without you. So this area and this sphere of anxiety, of this concern, this area where I don't know how to, how to get through, I'm going to take this and I'm going to cast it to you, Lord, because I know that you care for me and that you are the solution that I need. I'm not the solution that I need, but you are the solution that I need. The, in the um, Greek, one of the, one of the uses of the, road cast, of the word cast is actually roll. It's like roll your anxieties towards him. There are some things that are so big in our lives that we can feel like we can't even carry them. That, but we can just roll that giant thing over to the Lord and say, Lord... I'm, I'm casting this area of confusion, this area where I don't understand, I don't know how to get through. I'm casting it to you because I know you care for me and I believe that you understand and can instruct me in the way forward. In humility, I will give you that, says he tumbling off the stairs. I will give you that and I believe I'm going to receive from you. And we see this with Joseph, that wherever he was, he took an attitude of humility and he served. So even when he wasn't in the position of his ultimate fulfillment of purpose, when he was in the prison, he chose to A, have a good attitude, and B, he served. And so as we read in Scripture, his gift made room for him that he was seen to have the grace of God on him, and then the people running the prison, they were like, there's something with this guy. Let, let me give this to you, Joseph, and you help us because we see the grace of God on your life. And so for us, when we can position ourselves and we can, we can go low, God will lift us up. Amen? All right. Number two, from Peter's instruction, be alert and sober. I think it's generally a good thing to be sober. Wouldn't you agree? Be alert and sober. 
Peter says this, be alert and of sober mind. The enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The position of alertness is a position of not denying what we see, but choosing to put what we see in the right box. And so when we look at the life of Joseph as he was around in the, in the palace, when he was beginning to rise and ascend, and God was promoting him, and he was finding success, it would have been easy for him to feel like he had got there. But there was a sobriety in Joseph. There, there was an, an awareness, a right, um, a right apportioning of humility to himself where he realized that he wasn't where he was because of who he was. He was there because of who God was and that he couldn't take anything for granted. And so when he was in the palace and Potiphar's wife kept on propositioning him, we read what he said about it and his humble attitude. And he said, far be it from me. This man has brought me into his house. He's entrusted me with everything except for you because you belong to him. How could I sin against him? How could I sin against him and take you? Far be it from me to do that. And day after day, he stood firm and he resisted. He was alert to the schemes of the enemy. And I believe he knew that if he, if he just thought, wow, yeah, I am great. No one can run this country like me. I should be here. Rightly so. And yeah, I am pretty good looking. Actually, no wonder this woman is all about me. We, we, you know, we joke about it. We read, and the Bible says that he was well-built and handsome. He was. Potiphar's wife wouldn't be after him if it wasn't the case. But alert to the enemy's schemes and aware of what it could happen, if what could happen to him if he just took one thing for granted, if he took one risk that he shouldn't take, if he stepped over a line of conscience, if he for a minute began to think about Potiphar's wife, could he get away with this? What would happen? I'm sure she was a very beautiful woman. But he was alert. And he was sober. So sober is to have sound judgment, to appraise the situation rightly. We're given a responsibility to go into situations that require us to assess the situation and make a sound judgment. We can avoid pitfalls. We can avoid sin when we go into a situation and we can be alert and sober and say, okay, here's the challenge here. This could be a challenge for me. Here's what I'm going to do about it. And when we decide that ahead of time, we avoid suddenly falling through the ground when we're in the moment. And so I believe that God is wanting us to be a people that we're alert and we are sober and exercise good judgment. And this is a key to us being restored to the place of our purpose. Number three, characteristics, I'm sorry, keys for restoration. Final thing that Peter says, resist him and stand firm. Resist him, Peter says, standing firm in the faith, 
because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Standing firm in the faith. Okay, faith, faith, faith here. We're going to talk about faith for a little bit. Um, is Derek Amato here? Where is Derek? Derek is over there. So I didn't plan to say this, but I, seeing we're talking about faith, I just want to give a, um, just to get a, promote Derek a little bit. Derek is going to be going into some of the connect groups, and he is going to be speaking on faith. And he has a, a, a really insightful and powerful revelation of what it is to walk in faith and live in faith. So if you are part of a connect group, then you've got a treat coming up here, and I encourage you to go to your groups. If you're not, it's probably not too late, um, but go and listen to Derek um, speak on what it is here to, to live in faith. So our faith is attached to what God said, not what our circumstances say. Let me say that again. Our faith is attached to what God said, not what our circumstances say. And this is such a key to fulfilling our purpose that when we're in the place where our purpose looks like it couldn't be further from fulfillment is when we need to choose to put our trust in what God has said and not what the circumstances say about us. And so for Joseph, when he was there in the prison, when he was there in the dungeon, and he was surrounded by the rats, by the filth, by the disease, by the death, it would be so easy for him to think, this dream I had, it ain't going to come to nothing. It was just a dream. Maybe it was just a dream. Maybe I just dreamt it because of what I ate the night before. My brothers didn't believe really in the dream. My father didn't even believe it, not publicly. Now we read that actually Jacob, he held that in his heart. But Joseph, that's the time of testing, isn't it? When you can you can always rationalize, break down, dissect a word from God. You can always do it. I've done it. We've all done it. If you want to, you can apply natural logic and you can dissolve the word of God to you. Many have. But we have a choice that when we're in that place where the circumstances are telling us a different message and they're yelling it loudly. Where we have to know that voice of God, know how God speaks to us, where we can say, yeah, the circumstances are all contrary. They are. But you know what? I know how God speaks to me. I know that voice. I've heard it before. I've seen the outcome. And that is the voice of God. And I believe that the steps I've taken were the right steps. And while I can't see the way forward, I believe that God is going to bring me forward. And that is when we resist the enemy. And the scripture says, he will flee from you, standing firm 
in the faith. Because there's one thing that the devil cannot overcome. He cannot overcome the truth. The, the, the enemy that we wage, the, the war that we wage is not with flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers. And it is a, it is a war of belief. Because if you and I stand firm on the word of God and we stand firm on what God has spoken to us, there is actually nothing the enemy can do. That if you have committed yourself and you have set your own heart like flint and you said, this is what God has said and this is what I'm going to do, then the enemy cannot overcome your belief that is based in the truth of God. He can't do it. He can't do it. And there's nothing that drives him crazier than people who actually still believe. And that's why Scripture says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. He will flee. He will. That's the promise. Jesus himself dispatched the devil himself with just three Scriptures. That's all it took. <laughs> now, he believed them. <laughs> You've got to believe the Scripture. <laughs> Three scriptures, and off he went. The devil's like, I can't. It, it, the devil knows it's true. The devil knows the word of God is true. He really knows it's true. So if we do, there's not a lot you can do about it. Your faith is attached to what God said, not what your circumstances say. <clears throat> I believe that for many people here this morning, that... You have believed in your heart that God has prepared you for a purpose. And you have made steps towards it. Some of you are living in it now. Others are not living in it now. Some of us are in different stages of this. Some of us may feel like we're in the stage where we're in the prison. And all the circumstances are contrary. Some of us may feel like we're getting close but I want you to receive the encouragement from God this morning that His desire is to restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. And that the value to Him is in someone who has chosen to humble themselves and trust God, to be alert and sober and to resist the devil and stand firm in the faith. And when we do that, then we receive that grace and strength of God. We receive that strength, we receive that establishing, and we receive that steadfastness. And God will put us in the position to outwork our purpose, and he will give us the power to see it come about. Amen. If you would stand with me, I just want to pray. Let me just get a nod from the visual team. Do we have that video ready to go? Okay, I'm going to pray and then we're going to watch this um, announcement here. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Father, we receive his encouragement that you are the God that values the trial. And even if we feel like we are suffering for a season, that suffering has a purpose it works something in us when we, when we yield ourselves to you. And we believe that you are looking for a group of people that have been running the race, 
that we've gone through the trial and tribulation, that we've had some battles, but you are there to restore us to our full potential, to our full glory. And just like that Jaguar, which is such a beautiful piece of machinery, your desire is to have a people who have run the race and they have a greater potential today than they had at the beginning of their lives because they've proven themselves and they did it through your strength and through your power. And so we believe that's what we're called to, Father. And we receive the encouragement this morning that you are there to establish us, to make us steadfast and to strengthen us. And so I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would fill this room right now, that you would fill us afresh this this morning, that we would be full of your strengthening, that we would be full of steadfastness, that we would be full of your grace, and we would be enlivened and ready to run out and keep going towards a purpose that you've called each one of us to. And we thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.